So anybody want to get some donuts and coffee? Please go ahead. Yes, sir. Hey, sound guy, come on. <laughs> Usually I'm at the other end of this, you know, I'm, I'm giving everybody the microphones and mixing for them, but this time I get to use the microphone. So I hope I don't embarrass myself by messing up the equipment or anything. So just give you guys a minute here. Can you guys hear me okay everywhere? Right on. All right, Pastor Sam, you tell me when you're ready. <laughs> right on. Well, uh, why don't we start with a word of prayer? Gracious Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for this day, for all the goodness that you give us, Lord. It's just amazing, Lord, that you are a God up on high, so holy and righteous, and yet you love us as sinners. And Lord God, I thank you for the privilege to be in your word today. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, to sing your praises. Thank you for bringing us all here where we can just come together, Lord, and worship you and honor you and see, Lord, what you're going to teach us. I ask for your anointing tonight, Lord. I ask that you open our hearts with your spirit. Show us, Lord, where we are falling short of your glory. Show us where we need to improve. Show us what we need to confess. And, Lord, as we study the epistle of James, Lord, may you change us and transform us into your children of light so that, Lord, we don't hold others with partiality, but that we treat others just as we would treat ourselves. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So tonight we will be looking at James chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And I wanted to do a quick recap of the study that Brother John Duran did last week. He had an awesome thesis on chapter 1, verses 21 through 27. And the main focus was laying aside filthiness and wickedness and basically receiving the seed of God's word in our hearts. And when you think of a seed, you plant the seed, you put it in the soil, and you water it. You give it fertilizer. And what you're hoping for is that the seed grows and matures and becomes stronger and stronger. So the whole point is that, you know, as we're studying the Word of God, as we're taking it into our hearts, that it's not something we just leave alone, you know, come to church on Sunday and then be the world the rest of the week, but that every day we're watering it, every day we're maintaining it, that we get to mature and become stronger Christians. Now, there was another point about being a doer of the word and not merely a hearer. It's very easy to hear a bunch of things. You know, it goes in through one ear, comes out the other. But when you're actually thinking about what you're hearing, you know, it's very important that the words become actions, that it becomes a conviction in your heart so that, you know, we're just not coming to church, but that we're being the church, as X would say. And there was the idea of continuing in the perfect law of liberty and not being a forgetful hearer. You know, God is perfection, and we'll never be perfect here on earth, but what we can strive to be is the mark, the bullseye, to be Christ-like. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters. 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon refers to material wealth. So the question today I want to ask is, who is our master? Is it our faith in Jesus Christ? Is it our Lord God and Savior? Or is it something else that uh, kind of says, ooh, I want that more than Jesus? You know, at the conclusion of last week's study, the Lord put something on my heart just to reflect on his goodness. And I'm going to tell you a story about my family history. And uh, I base this on the last verse, James chapter 1, verse 27, where it says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Here's my story. The word orphan touched my heart because my grandparents were all orphans. During the Armenian Genocide of 1915, um, there were a lot of families who were taken out of their homes in what's modern-day Turkey. And uh, families were basically driven out. The prominent people, you know, the, uh, the artists, the workers, the craftsmen, the people in government, the people of cultural things, of music. You know, they were the first ones who were taken out with the evil intent of wiping out a whole nation. And, uh, you know, my grandparents at the time, they would have been maybe two, three, four, five years old. Um, when they were alive, you know, that's all they really remembered. But my great-grandparents didn't survive this. But what came to mind about visiting orphans and widows in their trouble? You know, my grandparents were actually picked up by missionaries in the field. And uh, like thousands who were left without family, food, shelter, clothing, these missionaries took in these orphans. They cared for them with God's love during their trouble. But the most important thing, besides the tangible things that they gave them, to sustain them on this earth, they shared the gospel with them. So uh, my grandparents grew up. Thank God they became believers, and they lived full, rich lives, keeping the Lord as their focus. And I remember growing up with them. You know, they were here for during my childhood and up to my uh, late teens, early 20s. And... Uh, you know, one thing they imprinted on my heart was their love for God. And this translated into tangible love for those around them. Um, I still remember my grandfather up until he was like 88, 89 years old. He used to take his uh, little cart. He used to be up on Washington Boulevard in an apartment. He would walk all the way like half a mile to the stores, do his shopping. He would take the bus and uh, he would share his faith with people in his broken English. You know, if he saw someone doing something not good, like if they were smoking, he would say, Cigarette, no good. Jesus, good. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, reflecting back, um, 
Would I be standing here in front of you today if it weren't for these missionaries who obeyed the Lord and what he had them do? They showed compassion to whom the Lord brought to them. I can't answer that question. Maybe the Lord would still bring me here. I don't know. But one thing is for sure. The Lord would still bring someone here to teach all of you because his word is good. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, and I really love this word, verse, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, when we're in tune with the Lord, you know, um, that's when we can actually participate. That's when we don't miss out on all the good works he has prepared for us. So, uh, you know, if I'm not in tune, if I'm not in the word, if I'm not maintaining myself, that's when I miss out. I don't want to miss out on the Lord's goodness upon us. So, uh, as we go into the scripture for today, I want you to keep a couple things in your mind. Number one, faith in Christ Jesus is of ultimate value. Just imagine the best thing that ever can happen to anybody is that they can be saved. It's their salvation in Jesus Christ to be able to see God in his full glory when he calls us home. It is the most important decision of your life. And uh, if you're not a believer, I would encourage you, you know, listen to this text. It's going to teach us quite a bit. Number two, true faith and partiality cannot coexist in a heart of a believer. As we said, you can't serve two masters. And, uh, you know, if you want to be associated with someone or you want to be friends with someone rather than another, and they're both your brother and sister in Christ, um, it's not a good thing. And number three, valuing wealth above a person's faith. That's a sin against God. So, uh, you know, James wants to teach us a lot of things, and uh, it's just really neat how he brings us into perspective as we discuss partiality. So let me read the text for today, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Verse 1 says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit there at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But 
if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. You know, I was thinking about the word partiality. And uh, I got to throw this in because I'm a car buff. You know, I drive a hybrid because I used to have to commute a lot, about 110 miles a day. But then I'm like, you know, I can't show partiality, save the earth, save gas, save fuel. (laughs) So now I'm building a 331 cubic inch, 400 horsepower V8 that's going to shred a bunch of 255 tires on demand. (laughs) Har, har, har. That's a silly example, but uh, let's see what James has for us. I really am. So uh, just keep an eye on me. (laughs) Thank you. All right, so verse 1. First two words, my brethren. Brethren. You're my brother. How do you feel when I say you're my brother? My brother from another mother. (laughs) That's basically what it is, Adolphos. So James is saying this with with a love, with a caring to the believers. And he's saying, you know, he's not talking down to them. He's not, uh, he's not putting himself above anybody else, but he's saying, brothers, I'm one of you, and I want to address you in this particular subject, and I want to exhort you. I want to encourage you. Next, he says, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Key word is faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. When we hear the word of God, that's when we got to respond. And when we respond, we get faith. Who is our faith in? Jesus, the Savior, who can save us. And describes Christ as the Lord of glory. In all his glory, up in heaven, seated at the right hand of God. Faith, glory, what a picture of our Savior. And then there's the word Partiality. Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. What happens when you're partial? And in this context, faith being partial. There's a big contrast here between these words. There's faith, which is all good, which saves people, which shows Christ's love to people. Then there's partiality. You know, if this is a salvation, if faith is a salvation in Jesus Christ that saved us from our sinful state, can we say, uh, oh, I want this guy to be in heaven with me, but I don't want them to be in heaven with me. We just can't do that. It just doesn't make sense. The Lord of glory is the object of our faith. Christ, who had no sin, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. So in this one short sentence, you know, keep in mind, faith is something really important 
Faith is something really valuable, and we can't show it with partiality. In the next couple of verses, um, there's a situation that James is describing. And when I look at it, what I thought about is, what do we put our value on? What do we consider valuable? Is it the faith that we have in Jesus Christ? Or is there something else that kind of sneaks in and tries to take its place? So what I found interesting is that verse 2, it begins, for if. Now, if might describe a hypothetical situation. And we don't know for sure. But, uh, you know, he's talking about this uh, possible situation. It could have happened before, but it is potentially there. So somebody comes in with gold rings and fine clothes, and then there's someone who comes in who's poor in filthy clothes. Now, uh, another interesting thing was the word assembly. Um, the actual word used is synagogue. And this is the only time in the New Testament that the word synagogue is referenced for a Christian gathering. So, you know, if you think about the early church, maybe they met in a synagogue before they actually went out and did their own services in the homes. Or maybe this was some formal gathering where they were going to hold a trial to figure something out. But in either case, I don't really feel that it really matters because what we're talking about is the value of the individual's faith, of the individual's soul. So the value of the rich man versus the value of the poor man. If you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in the good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at my footstool. You've shown partiality among yourselves. So um, if someone comes to church, you know, we see them come in. Maybe we haven't met them. If they're all blinged out in jewelry and, uh, I don't know, Armani suits. I don't know the designs and, and stuff. But um, if they just look good or they look prominent, are we going to treat them any better than, you know, we see a lot of homeless people come into our services, especially midweek in the evenings. Do we treat them any differently? So the question is, are we basing our position on material wealth instead of faith? And what's the value of every individual when we look at them in Christ's perspective? So in Matthew chapter 19, 23 and 24, uh, Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I haven't really seen a camel, but I know they're pretty huge. And I've tried to sew some of my pockets here with a needle. And I don't see how a camel can fit through that little eye of a needle. But uh, that's quite a big description when you consider that uh, material wealth, richness, mammon, if that is your focus, if that's what I'm valuing more than the individual's 
faith more than the individual soul. You know, I'm being a stumbling block to myself and to the others around me. In Luke chapter 12, 29 to 34, it says, And do not seek what you should eat, what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows what you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. If we're seeking God's kingdom, if we're seeking what's good in his eyes, what's good is to save people. What's good is to preach the gospel. What's good is to invite everybody with open arms. And in 32 it continues, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. And verse 34, which is identical to Matthew 6:21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what is it that we treasure? Do we treasure our faith in Jesus Christ? Or is there something else that tries to take its place? It's something we really need to consider. And uh, if there is anything, you know, I ask the Spirit to show me. Show me where I'm falling short. What's taking the place of the Lord in my life? Because He needs to be number one. Otherwise, I'm doing something wrong and I know I'm going to slip and, and mess up. In verse 4, what really struck me, the second part says, Become judges with evil thoughts. So if we're showing partiality, we're becoming judges with evil thoughts. I hate that word, evil. And the problem is, it is a matter of the heart. What does Jeremiah 17.9 say? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I know one person who can know it. The Lord knows it. We can know it too if we're careful to sift our hearts through the Word of God. But if left unchecked, it's very easy to let sin develop from temptation and then eventually lead to death. What's said in Matthew 15, verse 19? For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Man, this heart is a really bad thing. And that's why these scripture really talks about our heart, our motives. Later on in James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, it says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy who are you to judge another? And judging means 
speaking evil, doing evil, thinking evil against another. The lawgiver here, of course, is God. He's the ultimate. He can do what he wants, but we know from his character that he is true, he is just, he hates evil. Back in uh, James chapter 1, verse 25, remember what it said about being a forgetful hearer? That's why we have to be so careful to keep on maintaining and growing and maturing that seed that Christ has planted in us. You know, becoming a Christian is not enough. Taking that first step is a big step. But then you've got the rest of your life to work at it, to mature, to become a stronger believer, and to see what the Lord has for you. So... If we look into the perfect law of liberty and we continue in it, maintaining it, making it grow, studying the word, being in fellowship, that's when you're not a forgetful hearer. That's when you are a doer of the work. And the one who does this definitely gets blessed. So moving to verse number 5, it says... uh, Listen, my beloved brethren. So in verse 1, he started with, my brethren. Now he's talking, my beloved brethren. James really loved his brothers and sisters. I love my brothers and sisters. And it's just neat to, to be in this fellowship. You know, I think about, uh, how did I ever get to know all of you? If I was in the world, I'd probably not be friends with any of you. I'd probably be drag racing and driving myself off a cliff at some point. But who knows? But I'm so glad for the people that the Lord allows me to have the privilege to know during my lifetime. And uh, especially sharing the gospel with friends and coworkers and family who don't know Christ. I think that's the biggest privilege of all. So, beloved brethren... Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? How does God feel about the poor? Well, in Psalm 22, verse 26, it says, The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. And in Luke 6, 20, it says, Then he lifted up his eyes towards his disciples and said, Blessed are you, poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, it talks about the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Being poor in spirit, not having material possessions, those are not necessarily bad things because the Lord can fill it And when the Lord fills your heart, you get joy overflowing and you just can't contain it within yourself. So our attitude, uh, do we try to puff up ourselves? Do we pat ourselves on the back? We got to examine ourselves within to see, you know, what our motive is. 
are we doing partiality or are we truly honoring the Lord of glory with our faith? There was a parable here in uh, Luke chapter 14, verses 7 to 14. So Jesus was at the house of the, one of the Pharisees as an invite, and, uh, and they were uh, at a meal. And uh, I want to read this to you because uh, some important stuff in here. It says, So he told the parable to those who were invited. When he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, Give place to this man. Then you begin with shame to take the lower place. Yeah, I'm acting a little. But when you are invited, go sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You know, Christ is looking for humility. He's looking for impartiality. So that when we're considering the faith that we have in Christ, that, that we're honoring him. Continuing in verse 12, he says, Then he, Jesus said also to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they all so invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor. See the poor? Christ loves the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. What a glorious day that will be. When you think about uh, how much importance Christ gives, how much importance Christ God gives to those that we tend to forget, those who are less fortunate, those who may not have the money to buy the clothes, those who may not have food, those who may look filthy. We're all filthy inside with sin. So we've got to think about that the next time we try to judge someone just on their appearance. Verse 6 says, But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? How are we to treat the poor? In Deuteronomy chapter 15, a couple of verses here, 7 and 8 and 11. It says, If there is among you a poor man of your brethren, within any of the gates in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor shut your hand from your poor brother. But you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. In verse 11, uh, it says, For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. The Lord really values people who don't have. 
Psalm 82, 3 to 4, it says, Defend the poor and the fatherless. I think we sang that a little earlier. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. Deliver the poor and the needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. In Proverbs three twenty-seven to 28, it says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it to you when you have it with you. I'm not saying you got to help everybody when they knock your door at 2 a.m. and they ask for milk, but uh, what I have seen is that when you're in tune with the Lord, He'll bring people to you that He wants you to help, and not necessarily to give them everything you have, but to be a good example in that you're shining His light to them, that you're sharing the gospel, that you're sharing His unfailing love to them. Proverbs 14, 21, it says, He who despises his neighbor's sins, but he who has mercy on the poor, happy or blessed is he. In verse 31 of the same chapter, He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. And uh, that makes me think really hard. Do I ever uh, treat anyone or ignore someone who really needs something. Proverbs 22.16, it says, He who oppresses the poor to increase his riches, and he who gives to the rich will surely come to poverty. What's our president doing? Self-explanatory. I wish our president really knew the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. There's a whole idea that, uh, you know, true love is loving your neighbor. It's not loving yourself. No one's just tried to run away from me. Going on to verse 7. Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? Being a Christian is quite a noble name. The faith that we have in Christ is a noble faith. It is righteous. It is just. And uh, if we dishonor the poor person, if we don't hold their faith valuable, if we hold the wealth of a rich person more valuable than the salvation or the faith of a poor person, we're blaspheming that noble name. We're called to a high authority here. We're called to be holy. We're called to live righteous lives. And we can't do so without making sure that our heart is in the right place. In verse number 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. In Mark chapter 12, uh, verses 29, I believe, um, 
Jesus was having a conversation with a scribe. And it says, Jesus answered him. The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Just imagine, at that time, um, they didn't have the New Testament. So where is Jesus quoting this stuff from? If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 5, you'll see the same exact words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. So continuing on Mark chapter 12, verses 32. This is a really neat section, and uh, pay close attention to it. This is a scribe speaking. So the scribe said to Jesus, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. This dude got it. He really understood what God's love is. He understood that sacrificing for sins, that's not the way. That doesn't make you a believer. There were plenty of believers in the Old Testament, and they truly worshiped the Lord. And that's the, the very key. And uh, Jesus answered and said, Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to them, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Are we near the kingdom of God? What's the motive in our heart? So continuing with this royal law, um, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, talks about your neighbor as well. And it says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Remember those becoming judges with evil thoughts? Don't take vengeance. Don't bear a grudge. Before the sun goes down, go and reconcile. The Lord wants us to be righteous and true. You know, there's a pattern here in all of Scripture, but specifically here, James is cautioning the believer to address sin so that it doesn't take a foothold. You know, uh, I got problems with weeds in my yard. And... Uh, my neighbor across the street has this huge Chinese elm tree. And I hate that tree. <laughs> I mean, that tree is probably 100 feet away from my yard. And then I look in the flower beds, and I see little, little shoots of Chinese elm. They just kind of sneak in from the bottom. They start growing. And those little suckers, they're tough. I mean, you try to yank it and pull it, it can give you a cut. 
you know, sometimes uh, I kind of put off the gardening because I'm like, okay, if I mow the lawn, that's enough. But if I don't take care of the flower beds, sometimes I see those things. They're like, they're like this tall and already like half inch, three quarter inch in diameter. And uh, I think one time I actually dug down about three feet to get to the very root because I was so upset at that thing. <laughs> just wanted to nip it in the bud and get it out of there. But you see, it's the same progression when it comes to sin. You know, there's a desire in your heart. It gets conceived. And then it translates into sin. And what happens with sin? It eventually leads you to separation from God, which is eternal death. In chapter 1 of James, verse 15, a couple weeks ago, we went through the verse that says, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Just cut those shoots before they, uh, they take a foothold and start making roots. Because it's easier to nip it when it's young, when it's tender. But when it's uh, kind of established, guys, you know how stubborn we get. It's hard to uh, get rid of old habits. Should I do this? Yeah, why not? You guys know who Mr. O'Shea Jackson Sr. is? Mr. Cube? Mr. Ice Cube? I used to be into rapping when I was young. <laughs> Believe it or not. And I remember, uh, you guys remember when uh, Target used to be Fedco? Yeah. I remember Dad used to take us there. And uh, one time there was this, uh, this guy who was promoting Casio keyboards. They were the hot thing, you know. They had all these sound effects for drums and things on them. And uh, he was just promoting it and testing it out. And uh, my brother and I were just sitting there and listening to the guy and... It sounded so cool, and he was giving out T-shirts. And uh, on the T-shirt, it said Casio, and then rap, and then a couple other things. Nothing dirty. Um, when my grandfather was alive, I remember wearing that shirt. And, uh, you know, his English was kind of broken. He didn't really know what rap was. But uh, I remember him distinctly. He was saying, oh, rap. That must be repentance. <laughs> so, yeah, I was really blessed by my grandfather and his faith in Christ. But, uh, you know, grandparents taught us well. You know, they would share the, the gospel with us and made sure we said our prayers and my grandfather had this Bible. Um, he would read it every day, hours on end. Mind you, he was like in his 70s and 80s that I remember. He had one bad eye, cataracts in the other. And he would hold that Bible like this, you know, literally this close, hour or two straight. He read that Bible cover to cover 
think about 154 times. And the, uh, the pages, they were so soaked with hand oil that, you know, it looked like this. Just his love for the Lord, his love for the word and how he wanted to share it. But I digressed. Now back to the wrapping. <laughs> so, uh, yes, Mr. Cube, he needs the Lord, just like all of us do. But there was this one phrase from uh, one of his uh, songs, and I put that loosely. And uh, I thought about it. Something that would stick in our hearts um, in keeping with the lesson for today. Um, if Mr. Cube was a true believer and he loved the Lord, he would have put it this way. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Because if you're only a hearer of God's word but not a doer of God's word, you deceive yourself. Yeah. So in conclusion, and in all seriousness, how did God deal with partiality? We know, we all know this verse, John 3.16. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that should the rich believe in him. No? That he gave his only begotten son, that should the elect... No. He gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Salvation is open to everybody. God loves everybody. He has a purpose for everyone on this earth. And who are we to say that uh, you stay there at my footstool or you sit over there? Are we not being partial? Are we not? Uh, are we doing what the Lord wants us to do in loving our neighbor as ourselves? In Psalm 34, verse 8, it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. The Lord is really good to me. He is, he is good to all of us who believe in him. He is even good to the ones who don't believe in him. Because he shows his mercy to them. So... Moving on, um, this idea of taste. There's a beautiful verse in Psalm 119, 103. It says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So can we honestly say that the word of God is sweeter than honey to us? Is our faith in Jesus Christ something that we consider glorious? honorable, righteous. Do we value that faith to the point where we'll say, I'll share my faith with anyone, anyone who walks in through that door, anyone that the Lord puts in my, in my home, 
in my work, at my church, or even on the street or on the mission field? Well, if, if the word of God is sweeter than honey to us, then we honor the Lord by sharing it in words, in action, in agape love, without partiality. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to serve an honorable, righteous God like you. And we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to dive into your scripture. And we thank you, Lord, for your humble, faithful servants. Servants like James who wanted to show the brothers that they need to treat everybody as Christ treated them, without partiality. And Lord God, we just ask that you check our hearts with your spirit. Show us, Lord, where we fall short, where we're missing the mark, that, Lord, you would reveal it to us and we would be humble enough to say that, Lord, we need to confess it, we need to be right with you so that we can be right with man. And Father, I thank you for my sisters and brothers here for their love for you. And we thank you for this time of fellowship. And Lord God, I want to lift up every single heart over here and those who will be listening to the recorded message later on. Lord, if there's anyone who has strayed from you, if there's anyone who doesn't know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, I ask that you open their hearts right now, that today may be a day of salvation. And Father... Thank you for this time. We ask for your hedge of protection as we go our separate ways. Let us be the light wherever we go. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.